Guys, I'm really excited to be here with you. I, I, uh, I absolutely love this ministry. Corey was saying, um, I used to be a part of this ministry, I used to help lead it, uh, and I, I, I miss it, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, but it's really good to be here with you guys. So, uh, Corey said, we're in the uh, In My Feelings uh, sermon series, and last week he talked about anger, and this week we're going to talk about shame. And um, so I think Corey even told you guys this last week when he was teaching, uh, this is not going to be like the most comprehensive thing you've ever heard. Like there are uh, real tools for people, like there's counseling, you know, there are things like therapy that really can kind of help you get a more well-rounded and really full picture of maybe how Jesus can help you in some of these feelings. And so I don't think you're going to get, uh, if you're really experiencing this, literally everything you need uh, in this package tonight. But I do think, I do think the gospel has a good word for the person who struggles with shame. I really do think that. Um, so here we go. And if, if, there is, if there is one thing, if there's one thing I want you to get out of this, uh, I really only think there's one force in the world that's strong enough to, strong enough to uh, cure shame, strong enough to take it away, and I believe it's love. And specifically, uh, I believe it's God's love. Because he did that in my story, and that's why I have such a heartbeat for what the gospel does to the person, person who's just ashamed of themselves. And I want to start by sharing my story with you. Um, so when I was growing up, and I want to be really careful. Uh, my family is still living. Uh, and even if they weren't, I'd want to be careful because I love them very much. But there's just the reality that it just was not healthy in my family growing up. You know, I would say that there was trauma I've experienced in my family growing up. You know, things that uh, make a young man long for love and affection from other people in ways that he shouldn't. Which essentially led to me living in a shameful way. So um, as early as seventh grade, I started sexualizing my relationships with women. Um, I was very young, and, and uh, I had actually just given my life to Jesus. I was trying to follow Jesus, but it was right after. I was by myself in school, and these things just started happening. It got worse when I got into high school, so that's when I just started having sex with people. Um, and how I would do that is I would manipulate. I would lie. I would hurt. I would tell somebody I really cared about them, and I just didn't. And I was cold, self-interested, you know. Um, and I was absolutely ashamed of myself, but it got worse. So guys that I was coming to church with introduced me to a phone app. I think you guys probably know it, Tinder. Is that still a thing? Yeah? Okay. So they introduced me to that. Um, and interestingly enough, if you can just imagine the hole in my heart so big. So I used Tinder, and I, I met a woman on Tinder. Um, and I had a relationship with this woman for about eight months, and I realized she didn't exist. So you can imagine being in high school, you know. And by the way, what, what didn't help this was I was not like the most popular guy in my high school, my, but my friends were. I was like known by proxy, if you know what you guys know what I'm talking about. And so if you could imagine, like, what if that got out? I was catfish. Like, they make a show out of that. Can you imagine the shame you feel as a young man? Right? But it wasn't just that. Like, in the middle of that, there were, like, flags. You know, there were things. Like, I don't know if this is real. Like, this, is, this doesn't seem super legit. And I was so longing for deep affection that even in that time, I used Tinder to go have random sex with people. And it was in that time um, I contracted an STD in high school, actually. So if you can imagine a young man catfished popular kid, STD, 
uh, praise God for medicine. They were able to cure me. But I called myself, I thought I was a cheater. I thought I was cheating on this person, you know. Just the, the weight that I bore was just enormous. And to make it worse, I was actually the president of FCA at my high school. So if you guys remember, if you know what that is, that's the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And that's like church in school. I would teach. I was a Pharisee. I thought I had it. I didn't. I was struggling so bad. Um, and pretty soon my shame, it turned into something worse, uh, self-loathing. I hated myself. I hated every part of myself. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing the things I hate. I'm crying myself to sleep. I don't even know how to stop. You know, it's killing me. And um, there's one thing that changed me. There's one thing that took it all away, and it was God's love. I remember when I needed to go to college, I, uh, I wanted to go to NAU to their chemistry program because I heard they had a great one. I was super interested in chemistry. I don't know if I was smart enough to actually become a chemist, but regardless, I was super interested. But I actually chose to go to GCU instead. Um, and that's because I thought I could find a Christian at GCU. I thought I could find a guy. I was like, I bet I could find a guy who actually believes this stuff there, who could help me. Because all of my friends were doing the same crap. But no one knew me. No one knew. I was so, can you imagine the embarrassment of those things that I shared with you? How do you tell your friends that? You know, what are you supposed to do with that? But it's interesting. I love that Corey to share this story. I met him the first week. I met him the first week. I prayed for, by the way, two years. I prayed for years. God, would you just give me somebody? Because I don't know how to stop doing this stuff. I met Corey week one, and I remember we went to lunch, and like he said, I told him everything. I, well, most things. I told him almost everything. I didn't tell him I got catfished. I didn't tell him about the STD. I didn't tell him I was still sleeping with some of these. I didn't tell him I still had tens and tens, like phone numbers in my phone that I shouldn't be there. I'm still talking to these people. But it was a week later, uh, my sin, um, I mean, I was bankrupt. I don't even know how to explain this to you guys, but I was like sick, physically sick. I was on the floor of my dorm room. I was so sick, I felt like I couldn't move. I was in tears, and the weight of my sin crushed me. My shame eating me. But my conscience, by the Holy Spirit, said, call him. Call your guy. He's your new guy now, right? Call Corey. So I called him, and he came over, and he prayed over me. And I just remember at some point in the prayer, he said this, literally verbatim. God, let Connor believe that you died for him, because you did. And I believed it. There's not a prayer that I prayed. There's nothing I did. To, or it literally, I just, I believed it in the moment. And what I really believed maybe for the first time, wasn't that Jesus was God, I believe that, I believe that he came and he died, uh, but I think I finally believed that he loved me enough to include me in the work that he did, and it changed me, different man, instantaneously, joy, I had it, and when he did that, when God did that for me, this one verse that I'd been thinking through for years and years and years finally made sense to me. And I'm going to read it, and that's where we're going to be tonight. Cherry-picked, John 3, 16. Harley, could you put it up for me, please? Yes. For God so loved the world, and I believed I was a part of that mess, by the way, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Guys, there's an invitation for you today, an invitation not just to come and be loved, it's an invitation born out of love to you. I believe Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
And this is it. The only thing strong enough to take your shame away is God's love. That's the main point of this. That's, that's everything. There's one thing you need. There's only one thing that's going to deal with it. Trust me. I've literally, and I, this is not just, oh, no, he's a pastor, so he's saying it. And I, it's not just a Christian thing to say either. I've literally never met a person who I thought was more deserving of shame than myself. I mean that. I completely mean it. And there's one thing that took it away. Love. Melted my heart. Got me. So we're going to look at John 3. Because that statement takes place uh, with some context. So there's a conversation going on before that statement is made between Jesus and another guy named Nicodemus. Then Nicodemus, he was, a, he was a Pharisee. I'm sure Corey has taught you guys about the Pharisees, right? So they were like the super religious people. But beyond that, he was in the Sanhedrin, which meant he was on a ruling council of Pharisees. He was like a chief Pharisee, per se, right? This guy was a baller amongst the Pharisees. Or was I? There we go. Here's another thing. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night to talk to him, which I think is really interesting. I think he's hiding from his other Pharisees, but he comes, I think, in the spirit of sincerity. Why hide when you talk to this guy that you know everybody hates? Ah, oh, maybe because he actually wants to talk to him. You guys know what I'm saying? So he comes to Jesus, and this is what the conversation looks like. It's really interesting. So Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And then Jesus replies, this is fascinating to me. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. What? That response doesn't feel like it goes right with the other thing. I think Jesus knew what was in his mind, the real question. How do I get there? Like, what am I supposed to do, you know? And Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. So here we see Nicodemus does actually get the point. But he gets there. In an incorrect way. He incorrectly gets to the correct point. I can't be born again by myself. Now he thinks, oh, you got to somehow get back in your mother. Not the point. But regardless, you can't do it by yourself, right? So he gets there. And for us tonight, here's what I think. We can't find life by ourselves. I couldn't do it by myself. I could not. I, pr I tried everything. I couldn't take my shame away. You can't take it away by yourself. You need God. We cannot experience the kingdom of God and live in it by ourselves. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so this is Christ's final response to Nicodemus in this, in, in, in this conversation. And this is what he says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, we need a flashback because Jesus is alluding to a story in the book of Numbers. So just think Old Testament. Israel, God's people, rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. And in a disciplinary action, God gives them fiery serpents that come into their camp, and they bite them, and they're going to die. Ouch, right? That sucks. But he gives them a way out. So Moses comes to God in prayer. And this is great, because God, he says, this is what you're going to do, Moses. You're going to make a staff and put a bronze serpent at the top of it, and you're going to set it up. And if the people would just look at it, he says, they'll be healed. If they just look at it, they'll be healed. If they just look from their afflictions, if they just look from their shame and their pain and their dying, they'll find salvation. And let me tell you what, it wasn't their eyesight that would do it. Like, what about the blind guy? Is he screwed? Can't see the bronze thing on the top, right? Is he screwed? No, no, no. No, it was the faith to look. 
It was a faith to trust what God said to find salvation in the way that he set up for you. Just look up from your shame. And you'll find everlasting freedom. And so it is with Jesus. It's not about an intellectual acknowledgement with him. I intellectually acknowledged Christ and was a slave to my sin and my shame. It ain't about your mind. It's about the faith to believe, the faith to look at him, not as just a historical figure, but as the God who so loved you that he gave his son for you. For the world. It's not just for everybody else, by the way. Because that's where shame lives, especially for people who think they're Christians and might actually not be. Right? Well, I hear, oh, I hear that. For God to love the world. And you just think, I'm the exception. That's where shame lives. You're not the exception. You're not the exception. Consider the very next words from John. Consider the very next words from John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is what we're going to do. This is going to be the majority of our time. We're going to look at the object of God's love. I don't have a clever thing to say to you guys tonight. I, I, I do not. I spent a lot of time with this. I tried. I'm not that clever. I don't got something clever. But I have the gospel. I don't need to be clever. I'm going to share these stories with you in hopes that it would melt the stones around your heart that allow you to still experience shame. Okay? So look at the first sentence. For God so loved what? Please say it. For God so loved what? The world. That's inclusive, is it not? It's inclusive. At the time, it's really important that we know it's, it's for both Jews and Gentiles. It's for both the black guy and the white guy, for the Asian, the South American, everybody. It's for everybody, every tribe, every tongue. The gospel of love is for everybody. But it's more than that, it's for sinners. For the guy who's far away from God, other side of the world, stuck in sin, it's for you. For God so loved what? The world. It's inclusive. It includes you. It includes me. It's not just for everybody else. You're not the exception. God, the gospel directly confronts that thought. So let's look at some examples. So right after John 3, in John 4, is this wonderful example. Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And let me give you just a little bit of context before I just kind of go through this story with you. So Jesus right now, he's traveling. That's pretty important to know. He's traveling. He's traveling from Judea to Galilee. You don't need to know where they are, but he's traveling, okay? And there's another thing. He's talking with a Samaritan woman. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In fact, Samaritans are a very shameful part of Israel's past. They're half Israel. Israel rebelled against God. They didn't just marry each other. They went and married the foreign nations. And God said, no, 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 you got to leave them. That's not what I said for you. And so now they avoid them like the stinking plague because it's their shame. Do you understand? We weren't supposed to do that, and now it's like it's sin over there. We're not going to go over there. But I love this stinking story. I tell you what, I'm serious. Jesus has a conversation with this woman, and we're going to look at it right now. John 4, we're going to start at verse 4. I love these first words. He says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. And so I'm going to give you a snapshot of this conversation because it's a lot of text. I want us to go through it pretty quick. And Jesus talks to this woman. He says, hey, will you give me, can I have a drink? 
Could you get me some water? And the woman says, what? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then Jesus comes back at her, and he says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me, and I'd give you living water. Essentially, he says, you'll never thirst again, and you'd have eternal life. And the woman, sort of not understanding, <laughs> she says, well, can you get me some water? Because I don't want to have to come back here every day. <laughs> and Jesus' response, he says, well, why don't you go call your husband and come back? And the woman says, well, well I don't have a husband. And this is where the story gets really interesting if you've never heard it before. So we're going to go to the text then. So that's John 4, uh, 17, Harley, I think. Um, so Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. You're correct, he says. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have isn't even your husband. He's not your husband. What you just said is quite true, and the woman says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, he's saying, worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is the spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So then after this, his disciples show up, and they're all surprised. We're talking to a Samaritan woman. We're not supposed to be doing that. And then this great, she, she leaves her water jar. She goes back into the town, telling everybody, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the guy that we're waiting for and hoping in? And the whole town, they come out to see him. Now we're going to pick up in verse 39, Harley. And this is amazing. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now... We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So here's some plot points in that story I want you to be aware of. So look at the woman. Like, try to put yourself in her shoes. She's a pariah in her community, right? She's at the well by herself at noon. So imagine how many of you guys had to mow the lawn growing up, like me. So a, a few of you guys, right? So did you guys do that at noon, or did you try to do it in the morning, in the summer? Maybe you slept in till 1, but, but you'd want to do it in the morning, right? It's cool. It's not so stinking hot. It's the same way. They had to travel to the water. So you almost ask yourself, why is she there at noon, and why is she there by herself? Imagine a woman doing this by herself. That doesn't seem super safe, does it? No. No, I wouldn't let my wife do that. Heck no. No, usually women would go in a pack. They travel together to go do this. It's a task they all had to do. So it's strange. She's a pariah, but, but we know why, don't we? We know why. Because in this conversation, we learned she's had five husbands, and none of them have been her real husband. She's full of sh Can you see her shame right now? 
Nobody wants to spend time with this woman. She's out there. Get away, right? Look at her shame. But then Jesus comes on the picture. And this is what I'm going to do, guys. I just have a bunch of observations, things that I see. And God, I pray that you would just use your spirit to melt this into our hearts. Here's the first observation. Jesus doesn't avoid sinners. He seeks them out. Jesus doesn't avoid sinners. He seeks them out. I love John 4, 4. Look at what it says. Now he had to go through Samaria. Remember, he's traveling. He had to go through Samaria, it says. That's actually not entirely true. Geographically speaking, that was not the only way there. There's two ways. And Jews usually took the other way, but it says, no, no, no. Jesus had to go there. Do you see him seeking her out? This was a divine appointment. This wasn't by accident. He wanted to take her shame away. Do you see that? For God so loved the world. <laughs> For God so loved the world. I think some of you think God will do anything to avoid you. I think you're going to be surprised that he's more interested in meeting you than you think. Maybe even tonight. Here's another observation. Jesus doesn't love the person who's only a sinner in the past. He loves a person who's a sinner in the present. A sinner in the present. Look at, look at what he found out. What? She's had five husbands, and guess what? And the man she's with, now, not her husband. Adulteress, now, today, this morning, earlier. She's in sin then. And he has mercy on her. Don't wait to come. Don't wait to come. Christ will have mercy on you right now, today. I don't care if you're high right now. I don't care if the hookup was an hour ago. There's mercy for you today, right now. That's good news. That's good news. For God so loved the world. Here's another thing I think is just, it just melts my heart. Jesus is seeking worshipers like this woman. Did you see that? Verses 21 through 23. Harley, could you pull that up again by chance? Maybe I'll find it. Yeah, yeah right here. I'm going to read it again. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you, he says, when you will worship. He's saying this to her. You'll worship me. I'm going to make you worship me. He's after her heart. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming, it has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He sought her. The adulteress. That's the type of worshiper the Father is seeking. The one with a lot to be forgiven. Do you have a lot to be forgiven today? You got something right on the front of your mind? Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was earlier and you're like, I'm pegged. I'm hooked. You're the type of worshiper that Jesus wants. You understand? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. I love those words. Here's another one. Jesus isn't just willing to forgive you. He wants to live with you. It's not passive. It's, just not, it's not like the one and done, now get out of here. Because I don't want to deal with the mess. He wants to live with you. Do you see that? He stayed with them afterward. I believe that he actually, he actually wanted to do that. They begged him. I don't think they had to. I think all they had to do was ask. I think he wanted to stay with them. And, by the way, I think the cross proves that Jesus wants an eternity with you. Do you see how bad he wants it, actually? He's willing to suffer for it. He's preparing a place for you. He loves you. He demonstrated it. He showed it. He wants to live with you. You're not too gross. You're not too unclean. You're not too filthy. Your past isn't too terrible. 
And your present isn't too ugly. And by the way, your future isn't too scary either for him. He wants to live with them. Come dwell in his house forever. Jesus wants eternity with you. Here's another observation. Your house, her house, it ain't too messy for Jesus. He stayed with them for a few days. Look at their mess. Look at the mess of the woman. Look at the mess of the city. She slept with five men. You don't think that they may have been married to other women? Can you consider the mess that that would have been? Five families potentially devastated by adultery and divorce? One's going on right now. And, by the way, these people treat her like crap. She didn't just do wrong. They did wrong. And he went in and stayed with all of them. He's like, let's, come on. I'm here for you guys. I love you. I sought you out. He had to go to Samaria. He had to go. Didn't he? Amen, man. Goodness. Um, Here's another one. Jesus will entertain a conversation with you when other people won't. Maybe you've acted a fool, you know. Maybe you've been really stupid, honestly. Maybe you've hurt people. Maybe adultery is your thing, honestly. Maybe you've lied to your friends. Maybe you stole from them. Maybe you stole from your parents. Did you do the drug of habit? I don't know. But sometimes when things like that happen, people put a lot of distance with you, right? Jesus closes the gap. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you today. Shame usually says, no, 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 I've got to stay away. Jesus is actually the one bridging this gap. Maybe he's coming to you right now. Do you feel it? Maybe is the spirit knocking on your heart saying, come. I hope he is. Here's another point I see. Jesus saved the Samaritans that mistreated this woman, not just the woman. I said it earlier. They were bullies to her. They treated her like crap. They shunned her. They hurt her. She's got to do the dangerous thing now, life-threatening potentially, to go get her own water every day by herself. She's alone. You've been lonely before? Maybe not by accident. Maybe because you were a, a real jerk. Still lonely. Maybe you have shame for the way that you've actually treated people, even people who wronged you. There's compassion for you today. There's mercy for you today. You can set your shame down anytime. There's a cost that paid for it. And that's true. I love what they say at the end, too. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Remember, this is encompassing. It's an encompassing word today, guys. If you got shame, bring it. Let's look at another story. God, please soften our hearts. Um, Let's look at John 8. There's another case of adultery in the gospel. And Christ meets this situation with such kindness. It is incredible. We're going to read it right now. We're going to start at verse 2, 8 verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught, by the way, caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. What wonderful words. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. One at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? She said, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Praise God for that word. 
here's the context, it's a Jewish woman. Under the Jewish law, the law by which she's governed, the law by which she sits, the law says what she just did means she should die. She should, stop. she should die. They have every right to stone her. Just put yourself in her shoes. They dragged her out. She was caught in the act. It's not just like, eh, we think we know what you're doing when you guys are going in that room. It's like, they walked in on it. That's humiliating. Can you imagine the shame? Like, it's, and by the way, we're not just talking about like a couple having sex. This is adultery. Like, families are getting ruined right now. We see it. Now, we take her out. I imagine, it's not written here, but if I'm, like, interacting with this text, I don't, I don't think she's wearing much, you know? I bet she has something kind of loose covering her, but I bet she feels exposed. They bring her in front of the entire temple. Entire temple. That's like, okay, so church. You're half naked in front of all of church, and everyone wants to kill you. How does your shame feel right now? Enormous. Crushing. The man's not there, but she is. That's interesting to me. But the thing is, she's guilty. But look at, can you please hear the kindness of our Savior's words to her? God, let us, let us know you are kind today. Listen to what he says. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And here's my observation today. Someone is there who can throw a stone at her, according to that statement. Everyone leaves, but the one guy standing there, he can. Jesus. He's the holy one, right? I think some of you think God would rather stone you than kill you. I think some of you think God would rather pour out wrath on you than forgive you and save you. And that's just not true. Not true. It's unbiblical, honestly. So 1 Timothy 2.4, God who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. What? Who's, who does that mean? Everybody. He wants you to know him. He wants to forgive you. You know that? He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you grace today. He wants you to smile today. He wants you to, to laugh and run around with joy today. He wants you to sing and actually believe those words we're about to sing and finish this, this night with. He wants to save you from your shame. Here's another one. 2 Peter 3.9. This is a, a paraphrase. The Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There it is again. It's not just the one verse I threw at you. Take a few verse. Um, if you go to the Psalms, David after Bathsheba, he says, against you and you alone. Bathsheba, by the way, David, guy in the Bible, he was the king of the Old Testament. He committed adultery. He committed adultery. But afterwards, in his prayer, against you and you alone have I sinned. This woman... Jesus wasn't in that room, and he wasn't connected to those families, but please don't be mistaken. She sinned against God in that, against Jesus. He claims to be God. He is God. She offended a holy God, but Jesus didn't condemn her. Do you see that? It's not that your sin doesn't offend God, and it's not that he didn't have to pay for it. It does, and by the way, he did. It's that he doesn't want you to pay for it because he loves you, and that's good news. Jesus didn't condemn her. If you want pardon and you seek it in Jesus, I promise you will get it. He says, if you believe in me, you can have life everlasting. Everlasting. Think about that. Here's another observation I had. Instead of taking her life, Jesus gives her a new one. Um, Paul Atino, I love this quote. Uh, he said it for years and years. 
Jesus is not the God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance. Maybe you're stuck in that thing, and this is the freaking 60th time you've had to try to repent for it. Jesus is not the God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance. His kindness knows no bounds. His kindness knows no bounds. Here's another point. Jesus doesn't just give her her life back. He gives her a new way of living, a better way of living, a way of living that won't lead to her shame. What does he say? Go now and what? Leave your life of sin. He doesn't want her to feel shame. He doesn't want her to have sin and shame. My goodness, he wants something so much better for her. Psalm 19, if I was to summarize it, it says God's ways are wonderful. They're incredible. The law of the Lord is perfect, it says, refreshing the soul. Do you want refreshment? Are you sick of your stinking shame? God says, follow my ways. You'll find peace today. It also says in that very psalm, he says, follow, oh gosh, I, forgive me, I don't have the exact words in my mind, but it says, essentially following God's ways, it's like putting light in your eyes. It's the difference between being blind and being able to discern what's going to kill me and lead to my shame and my death and what's going to lead to my joy. You'll actually know. It'll be like a knowledge that's ever increasing. There's another thing he says in that psalm where he says the law of the Lord is like gold, like much pure gold. You know, like the purest of gold, you know, it's kind of soft. Like the real pure stuff, you can kind of put a thumbstamp in it. It's soft, malleable. I've always heard, I don't know anything about investing, seriously, but I've heard that gold and silver are generally relatively good investments. Yeah, maybe. Um, but regardless, I th think so. But the point I'm trying to get at, <laughs> the point I'm trying to get at with my ignorance um, is that God's saying investing in his ways will lead to everlasting joy and not to your shame. There's another thing it says. It says it's, it's sweet like honey. It's the law of the Lord. Sweet like honey. It even says like honey from the honeycomb. It means it's enjoyable. Like how often do we think of God as the killjoy? God is actually for your joy more than you're for your joy. He's not, he's not for your death. He's for your life. He gives her a new way of life. And here's another observation I see. I think the love of God is strong enough to change the pattern of your life. When we get to places like that, usually it's like little habits that grew into this monstrous thing that now we just don't have any more control of. Alcoholics don't become alcoholics in a day. Adulterers don't just wake up and say, I'm going to cheat on my wife. I'm going to cheat on my husband today. It's small little things. It's the little habits that get you there, and now it's like, how can I stop? It's like a waterfall. How am I supposed to get out of this? God can change you, and you're not too far gone. The love of God is stronger than all that crap. You don't have to keep doing the things that are ruining your life. You don't have to keep doing the things that are keeping you awake at night. Jesus is offering you a new life today. Instead of death, Jesus gives her a new life. It'd be one thing just to forgive a person. It's an entirely another thing to dignify them and give them a new purpose entirely. Look at God's love for her. Like, can you see God's love for her? For God so loved the world. Are those words not just echoing in your mind? For God so loved the world. He pardons the adulterous woman of her sin, and he shares the gift of a new life with her. Let's look at another story. There's a story of a leprous man in Luke 5, I believe, Harley. It's really quick. It's two verses. I'm just going to read this for you. God, please continue to soften our hearts. While Jesus is in one of these towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand. Oh, my goodness. And he touched the man. I am willing, he said. 
be clean. And immediately, leprosy left him. So here's some con- context. Leprosy, it is, I could not describe to you how foul it is, how horrible it is. Imagine red flaky sores all over your body. It's like your flesh is rotting. What people don't often know about it, though, is your insides are rotting too. Your bones are rotting, and it, it'll lead to your death. But in this community, in the Jewish community, it was the ultimate shame. It was the ultimate shame. You're a pariah. You're a pariah even from your own family. Like, not a, no, imagine, if I got leprosy right now, I wouldn't be allowed to live with my wife anymore. I wouldn't be allowed to be the father of my daughter. I'd have to go outside the city and live with the other lepers. Live with the other people who have to hang their head. Imagine anything you touch unclean. A wall. No, we have to purge it. Silverware. No, 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 no. We have to wipe it clean of everything. We have to burn it. The very air you breathe is unclean. You are living shame. You are the embodiment of shame. And what this man is essentially asking Jesus for isn't just remove my leprosy, but Lord, remove my shame that I can rejoin my family, that I can rejoin the world around me, that I can get my job back, that I can have my friends again, that I can be a human. His shame is destroying him. And here's just a couple observations I have in this story. Jesus can restore you when your circumstance produces your shame, when when your circumstance produces your shame, not just your sin. See, there is sin in the world. We all know that. We wake up, we see it on the news, people are killing each other, right? The world is not the way it should be. There is sin in the world, we know that. Sometimes, shame isn't born of our sin, but sin that's just in the world. And this man feels shame not for what he's done, but for this thing he's become, for who he is now. He's a leper. He's a pariah. He has shame. He has shame, and I believe the gospel brings healing to that, even, even that. Here's another observation. The heart of the leper was more loathsome, more disgusting than his skin. Jesus touched this man, but he also touched the untouchable. He cured the uncurable. There was a famous pastor, preacher, uh, years and years ago, a long time ago he died, but he has this thing on leprosy. It was in a sermon he, he taught. I'm going to read this quote to you. He says this, I could not in your presence this morning describe all the loathsomeness and the ghastliness of the aggravated case of Jewish leprosy. It would be too sickening, if not disgusting. But let me remind you that as fearful as it seems to be, this is a very poor portrait of the loathsomeness of sin. If God could tell, or rather if we could bear to hear what God would tell us of the exceeding wickedness and uncleanness of sin, I'm sure we should die. But Christ the Redeemer, Christ our Lord and our Savior, he removed the spots not just from this man's hands, but from his heart. He took his shame away. So maybe you sit here because you just happen to be a situation that that life put you in that has led to your shame. And I think the good news I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus can redeem that too. Okay? For God so loved the world. If, If Jesus is willing to step into the mess of the leper, I promise you he's willing to step into the mess of your life as well. You are not too filthy for God to come clean to. You understand? There's no sinner or mess that Jesus is unwilling to bring healing to because he loves the world. Can you see, like, are you guys getting that? Do you see his love for these sinners? Do you see his love for the world? You're included in that. He doesn't just love the leper. He doesn't just love the adulteress. He loves Connor. He loves Aiden. He loves Kendrick. He loves you guys. Come. Drop your shame. Find joy. <laughs> now let's look at the second part. By the way, we are in John 3.16. We're going to go back to it. <laughs> look at the second part of that. For God so loved the world, remember, that he gave his one and only son. 
he gave his one and only son. Let me tell you what he accomplished in doing that. He bore our shame. He bore what we should have received. Our wages. He took them. He bore our shame. Let that sink in. He bore your shame. He was stripped naked. He was beaten, mocked, scorned, flogged. He was publicly humiliated. He was stripped naked. He was nailed to the cross. He was essentially in a garbage heap. Look at his shame. And God laid on him, says Isaiah 53, the sin of us all. The sin of us all. He absorbed my shame. And here's the thing. The holy response, God's holy response to sin, it is putting someone to shame. We have done shameful things. We have done shameful things. We feel it. Adam and Eve, first thing. They ate a piece of fruit. But it was against God's instruction. What do they first do? I know you guys have heard this from Corey before. Leaves. We're naked. We're ashamed. Right? He was, Jesus was treated, he was treated as if he was the one that had done shameful things. He was the one put out of the city. He was pariahed. He was put to death as the adulterer. So I and the woman at the well and the adulterous woman wouldn't have to be put to death. He was put outside the city so that the leper could be brought into the city of God. You see? The curse of sin was laid on him. Darkness fell on him. Sin fell on him. He suffered and bore our grief and our shame and our penalty and finally our death. It was a substitution. That was what we were supposed to experience. And God said, no. I'm going to do it so that you could have life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The reason I don't feel shame anymore in front of a holy God, it's not just a crowd. I can talk about the things that used to make me literally cry in front of a group of people. Not just you guys. I feel like this in front of my God. And he's holy. You understand? Because of what Jesus did. He stood in our place. He took my shame away. Here's a point I really want to make. He also, therefore, understands the person who had something shameful done to them. Okay? Some of you in this room, something has happened to you that was so shameful. Someone did something to you. And you feel shame for that. And Jesus actually understands that. Jesus understands that. He was put to shame. He bore that shame too. That scar was on his body too. I also want to give you guys two points of clarity. Because I think John 3.16. Harley, could you please put that up for me? I think John 3.16 gives us two very clear points points of clarity. Why did he come? Why did he come? To save the world from that, what Jesus had experienced. He came to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. He doesn't want you to perish, but have eternal life. And here's another point of clarity. Here's why he didn't come. Harley, could you put up John 17, 317? For God did not. It's almost like he can anticipate your doubt. <laughs> it's, God is brilliant, by the way. He can anticipate your doubt. Oh, I'm the, I'm the special case. He didn't come for me, right? I should be feeling my shame. No, I can't believe it. No, no, no. He did not come. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to what? Say it. But to save the world. And who is the world? 
Eli, do you understand? You didn't come to kill you. He came to save you. You think God doesn't know what you, what you feel? You think Jesus can't sympathize with the shame you have right now? You think he doesn't understand what he's saving you from? He felt it more than you'll ever feel it. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world to, to, to save the world. He did not send Jesus for everybody else but you. He didn't give his life for everybody else but you. He came for you. He came for the world. For God so loved the world. You guys need to hear that. I need to hear that. And this leads to my last point. For God so loved the world. And this is what changed me. It's, it's he came for the world. It's not just anybody. It's not just anybody who can take my shame away. It's when I realized that, that God was the one who loved me. Do you understand that? God actually can do something about your shame. He loves you like that. He loves you like that. For God so loved the world that he came for the woman at the well. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for the adulterous woman. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for the leper. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for Connor. For God so loved the world he gave his, he gave his son for Mariah. And he God so loved the world he gave his son for Nicole. And God so loved the world he gave, his, he gave his son for Ricky and for Ben and for Kendrick. For Corey. For Josue. He loves you. Can you see his love for you tonight? Can you even fathom the gift he's given you in Christ? Can you fathom the love where that gift came from? Christ doesn't just show up and then God loves you, by the way. Christ came from a place of love. Do you understand? God loves you first. How much does God love his son, by the way? Can I just say that for a second? And he gave him up for us. Do you know how much I would have to love a person to give up Lamai for that person? To have her endure what he endured. That's my daughter, by the way. Nine months old. I love her. That person doesn't exist. See what love that the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called the children of God. And so we are. Amen. And so we are. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let those words ring in your ears. Let it ring in your mind of heart tonight. Because here's the conclusion of all this. Here's what Jesus tells us to do today. He says, what? That if you would believe in me, you would have eternal life. And here's the challenge. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not, I mean, there's a component to it. Like, you got to know on a level, right? We need some level of knowledge. But I can't just convince myself I'm a millionaire and wake up and I'm a millionaire. Do you understand? Some of you have convinced yourself you're a child of God, but you still have the wages of your sin. You still have the wages of your shame. They hang over your head like a weight every day because you actually don't believe. So the biblical definition of believe, it's not about the intellect. It's living faith, Christian. It's faith that's, that's alive. Believing is an understanding or having this massive intellectual grasp on every facet and element of the gospel. Although it's good to know and grow in the knowledge. Believing is walking with God right now, James says. Right now, James says faith is living. You don't need to wait to feel it to follow, man. Come on. Come and follow. 
Submit your life to Jesus. Come with me. Come with us and follow him. He loves you. Remember the very beginning, the serpent in the wilderness. It wasn't, it wasn't eyesight. It was faith. It was a faith to look. Are you going to look to Jesus for your healing? Do you have faith to look at him? Or are you going to look to sex? And it's still going to lead to your shame. Are you going to look to, to Jesus to deal with it? Or are you going to look to the drugs still? Are you going to look to Jesus or the world? Jesus or your friends? Don't sit in your affliction any longer. Don't sit in your affliction any longer. Look at the cross, man. Believe in Jesus. Some of you would say, I need to wait. Some of you say, I'm like kind of waiting for this magical thing to happen. Let me tell you, the magic has already happened. God's people already had to wait. Waiting's done. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That happened already. Come and trade your shame for your joy. Believing in God. Believing in God can happen to you right now. So here's what I want you to leave with. Put off the old things. Put off the things that led to your shame. Remember the thing I said about Psalm 19? God's ways are wonderful. They're better than you could ever imagine. Put off the old ways. Submit yourself to the king of kings, not to any other king who's following anybody else, especially your friends. It will lead to your shame. Do you understand? Yes? Okay. For the person who believes God loves them, a new way of life is a gift of grace. It's not a way to get freedom. So come in faith to get freedom through Christ alone, because you can. Okay, let's pray. God in heaven. Father, I prayed it already, but I believe your spirit's at work. God, I pray that you would melt the stones that surround our hearts that keep us from believing that you love us, from, that keep us from believing that you included us in the work that you did on the cross. For God, you so loved the world that you sent your son, that if we would believe in you, we will not perish, but have eternal life. God, give us eternal life in Jesus today. Rid us of our shame, God. We praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.